You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Today, we take our last look, at least as a group, uh, to the story of Esther. I don't know about you, but I have loved walking through the story of Esther. It's only 10 chapters. We've been in it for, this is our fourth week. But it is a really fun story. I mean, it has all of the elements uh, that make a great screenplay or something. I mean, everything is there. There's a villain. There's a hero. There's all of these things. There's conflict. All of these things that work. But what's even greater is that we've been able to look at the story and see it much beyond those kinds of things and that there are spiritual life lessons that we can draw out from the story and apply to our lives. And so uh, quite honestly, what I want to do today, today's going to be kind of like the best of Esther. Um, I, we're going to, I'm going to take you through a, a quick journey. We're going to look back at the principles, the life lessons that we've drawn out, not all of them, but many of them that we've drawn out over the past three weeks uh, that we've been working to apply to our lives. Repetition is good, uh, and we want to be reminded so that we can continue to plant them in our hearts so that we can be spiritually formed. I want to say this. It's important that we understand why we come together in this manner on the weekends. Uh, when we come together, we worship. And quite honestly, everything we do from the first note that's played to the very last amen of the service, that's all worship. Worship isn't just the music, but worship is the entirety. Uh, actually, worship is what we do with our lives, even when we leave for this place. But when we come together, um, our ultimate goal is one, we create an atmosphere of worship and praise because the Bible says that God lives within the praises of his people. So we create this atmosphere as we as we worship him where God dwells and in the midst of that as we look to the word uh, the Holy Spirit works and transforms us because our goal in this spiritual life is that we continually experience spiritual formation that we are continually changed um, uh, on occasion in the past, I would run into people who maybe knew me as a young man and then saw me a few years later and a few years later and they go, wow, you've really, you've really grown. You've really changed. And my inward response, I never say this outwardly, isn't that what we're supposed to do? I mean, I would be more concerned if you saw me and you didn't see any change, if you didn't see spiritual formation. So that's what this is all about, is that we are being spiritually formed into the image of the Father through Jesus Christ. And so today, even as we look back, once again, we'll look at these principles and we'll apply them to our life. Uh, So I'm going to pull out these principles once again. And then as we end the message, um, I'm going to take just a few minutes and we're going to look one more time at four key players. We're going to leave Queen Vashti out this time because she wasn't in the story very long. Uh, But we're going to say, is there anything else that we can glean from the four primary characters? And then I'm going to put a period on the the message, and I want to share with you um, uh, something that happened to me, a word that was spoken to me by the Lord uh, about a week ago as I was praying for the church and I was praying for you. So just anticipate that that's coming at the very end. So let's, let's step into uh, to Esther again. Um, I, I think that we could best summarize what we've been studying over the past weeks is that Esther was a young Jewish orphaned girl raised by her cousin Mordecai. Um, and she was a woman who was uh, unknown, and she moved from obscurity to a prominent position as the queen of Persia. But more importantly than being the queen of Persia, she found herself as a servant in the plan and the providence of God, and all for the sake 
and the survival of the Jewish people who lived in the 127 provinces. God called her for such a time as this, that she would be the one who would step forward and God would use her as a servant in his plan. Um, We've talked about the providence of God all throughout the messages. And so we defined the providence of God the first week. And we've determined that uh, when we we talk about the providence of God, that what it means is that God, uh, unlike us, sees everything in the future before it ever happens. So we talked about the fact we have great hindsight But we don't have the ability to see into the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. We don't know what's going to happen in the next hour. We don't know what's going to happen in the next day, month, or year. But God does. And that's what's important. Because that's the providence of God. And in His providence, He is always working out His plan. And He is always working out uh, His his, uh, purpose for His people. Uh, we said uh, we determined that to really understand the providence of God, we have to understand that God is writing a grand redemption story that trumps human power and is often unseen by human eyes. And that even though there are times in our life, in our situations, where it seems like God is absent or it seems like there's no solution to the problem that we're in because we can't hear God, we can't see God, that that's never the case, that God is always present, God is always working, God is always active, God is invincible. In other words, there's no situation, there's no person, there's no power in the entire universe that can come against God's plan. Those powers were defeated at the cross through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've already won the battle. Yet we live in this world, so we're forced. Uh, Jesus told the disciples as he was, before he left them, he said, you will have trouble in this world. So if we think that somehow when we step into the Christian lifestyle that there's not going to be any problems, any challenges, then the question has to be, how's that working out for you? Because every single one of us walk through challenging situations. But in the midst of that, those situations, God's growing us. He's stretching us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. There are lessons to be learned so that we can become more like Him, so that we can trust Him. Uh, In relation to um, Queen Esther uh, and the Jewish people in the 127 provinces, uh, in God's providence, here's what we see. In God's providence, God saw a people, the Jewish people of the 127 provinces. And in God's providence, uh, providence, he saw the problem. He knew that there was an annihilation plan against him. He knew that before the plan was ever developed. In God's providence, he steps in. In God's providence, he intervenes. And it's all for the sake and survival of the Jewish people. But I believe that it's even larger than that. That what happened in the story of Esther in God's providence actually pertains to us. That it was all part of God's plan for the world. That Esther played a plan, a part in the plan of our salvation. Um, we, when we were looking initially at the story of Esther, we, we drew out just kind of four general thoughts overall of the story and and here they are we said that while God is never mentioned in the story so there are 10 chapters in the book of Esther 
the story of Esther, and not one single time do you read the word God. It, it's, it's never mentioned. But even so, God is not absent. And I know I'm saying this a lot, but God was. God is present in our situations. And so for us, in those times where it seems like God is absent, God is at work. He's active. The second thing we noted is that uh, God's plan for his people is fulfilled despite uh, the destructive, uh, diabolical plots that are created, that are constructed against that plan. In other words, again, nothing can outpower God. Uh, God has a plan and nothing can come against God's plan for us. And so when we look at our own personal life, uh, Scripture teaches us uh, we have an enemy. Scripture names that enemy. His name is Satan. And Scripture tells us very plainly he comes to kill He comes to steal. He comes to destroy. He comes as a devourer. He's the father of lies. And he has constructed many plots, many plans uh, uh, against us. But again, we look back to the cross. He's already been defeated. It's a futile battle on his part. Nevertheless, he will uh, create these challenges in our life, which takes us really to the third thing that we notice, uh, is that the story of Esther helps us to realize the reality of an enemy and the necessity of spiritual warfare. Um, Queen Esther didn't just rush in to do something, but she pulled back in spiritual warfare. She spent three days in prayer and fasting before she made any movement, before she went before the king. Um, And in doing so, uh, she was fighting the enemy first on her knees. She was fighting the enemy in prayer. And it's so important for us that we know we have this enemy. We know we go through these challenging, these difficult times in life. And instead of rushing in and trying to take care of them our own way, that we would do warfare first before God, seeking out wisdom and knowledge and instruction and discernment from Him so that when it's time to move, we can move according to the Spirit of God. We also noted that the story of Esther reveals God's willingness, his desire to involve us in his plan. We are, uh, so I I think I've said this to you before, but there's not one person in this room left out. Uh, In Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus, before he ascended, he gave the great commission, and he said, go into all the world and, and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That wasn't just for the, for the disciples who heard that, but that's, our, that's the call that's been placed on our lives. We all have been called to a mission, and it's to, uh, to live out the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We've actually been called, I think of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that we've been called to bring the kingdom of God down to the earth. That's the mission that we've been given. And so in order to do that, uh, we have to be willing to step in, to become involved. We have to be willing to take action. God has called us uh, to be uh, a part of his plan. So our takeaway for that first weekend uh, was that um, we need to be a people who choose to believe that in our most painfully challenging situations... And when we're dealing with the most painfully challenging people, that God is present. We choose to believe God is present. God is active. 
He is working out his plan and his purpose. We can count on that. We we know he's there. He's present in the situation. So that was all in week one. In the second week, we acknowledge that it's easy to underestimate the significance that one person can make. Um, The story of Esther uh, is a story about the providence of God at work, but it's also a story about the difference that one single person can make. She, as one person, was used by God. As one person, she became the servant of God who uh, changed the course of history, actually, and saved the 127 of the provinces uh, where the Jews were uh, as one person. In other words, she was a difference maker. And I know I'm being repetitive this morning, but it's very purposeful. You and I have a mission. We've been called to be salt that seasons uh, the world that we live in. We've been called to be light in a very dark world. Our our world needs seasoning that comes from Christ. Our world needs light that can only come from Jesus Christ that provides direction. And and, and that's our call. And um, in order to do that, we have to be willing to be difference makers. So when we looked at Queen Esther as a difference maker, uh, there are several things that we drew out. And we said, in order to be a difference maker... uh, in order to be people who can impact a community, in order to be people who can um, shape a culture, we're called to shape the culture that we live in. Here, here's the deal. Um, the church has been called to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth but in, and shape the culture. But what's happening too often at large is the church has allowed the culture to shape it. And so the church starts looking like the culture rather than the culture start looking like Christ, who the church represents. And so we have to change that. We have to be difference makers. And so when we think about being difference makers, uh, Queen Esther taught us that you have to care enough to get involved. We'll never impact a community. We'll never shape a culture. We'll never change the world unless we care enough to get involved. Uh, we learn from Queen Esther that you have to be um, uh, motivated to become informed. So often we sit back and we do nothing because we don't really understand what's going on around us. And it's because we haven't been motivated to get informed. Um, we have to be people who would, who would be willing to dig beyond Facebook. In other words, you're really going to find out what's going on in the world truly when you look at Facebook, when you, you know, just doing searches on the Internet. But you've got to be willing. You've got to actually ask God, reveal to me what's happening in the world around us. We've got to be informed. And it's only when we're informed that we can impact a community, that we can shape a culture, that we can change the world. Here's the fourth thing that we, we reckon, a third thing we recognized is that um, difference makers act out of courage. It was very dangerous, very risky for Esther to go before the king, but she was willing. And if we're going to make a difference, especially in the world that we live in, we're going to have to be willing to take risk because many will come against us. And then finally, difference makers are willing to fully engage in the process. You can't halfway engage, but you've got to get all the way into the water. And so with that, there was a challenge that came in that second week. Uh, And the challenge was preceded by this. Not everybody can do everything. But everybody can do one thing. And so the challenge, the question was, what is the one place or what is the one thing where you as one person can step into and make a difference? What's the one place? What's the one thing where you as one person can step into and make a difference. 
In other words, what's your part of the world where you are that you can say, right here, I can do something. Doing something in the part of the world that I'm in. My, my little neighborhood, my community, whatever it might be. And then last week we focused on um, understanding, uh, gaining God's perspective and God's value on waiting. And there was almost 100% confession across the three services that as a rule we are people who don't wait well. Uh, we don't like to wait. I made my own confession. I, I'm very patient, but there are certain situations that can arise, and I don't like to wait. And, and that was kind of the story for everyone. However, we also recognize that when we're dealing with these painfully challenging people, when we find ourselves in these painfully challenging situations, that oftentimes God calls on us to wait. Not every time. But oftentimes he calls us to wait because he's still working out his plan. In his providence, he's still working out his plan. And that uh, it's in those times of waiting that God does something in us that prepares us for uh, the ability to walk through the situations that we're walking through. In other words, while we are waiting, God is working. If we could only begin to trust that, that while we're waiting, uh, God is working. Um, When we talked about the value of uh, waiting, so what is the value of waiting? And we looked to Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28 through the end of the chapter. And Isaiah gives us great clarity on what it means, what happens when we wait. It's the passage of Scripture that says, They that wait on the Lord will renew their strengths. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not be faint. That's the gist of the passage. And so from that, Isaiah helps us to understand that uh, when we wait, we gain new strength. When, When we move into a period of waiting we come to the reality of our own weaknesses. We don't often like to, sometimes we don't like to recognize that we're weak, right? I, I got this, I can do it, I don't need any help. And most times that's, that's far from the truth. And so in waiting, we're able to um, recognize, identify our weaknesses, and then as we wait, we get to exchange those for the Lord's strength, the Lord's power, all because we wait. Um, Isaiah helped us to understand that when we wait, we gain better perspective. He said, you'll soar on wings like eagles. And we talked about the eagle eyesight, that an eagle has the ability to see for almost up to two miles away. And so if we apply that to our lives, that when we wait on the Lord, instead of facing the problem up close and personal like this, we were able to move back to a higher altitude and see the perspective of what's really going on. God gives us a, a right perspective. And so what happens in those times of waiting, as we pull back and we move at a higher altitude, we say, oh, I didn't know that about the situation. Now I understand why he or she may have reacted that way because of this happened to them in another time. You know, the, the, God begins to reveal by his Holy Spirit the pieces of the puzzle that are missing. And so we have this new perspective. And so that when we have to step back into the situation after waiting, we have wisdom. We have discernment. We have a, a, an ability, uh, direction from God of, uh, because we have a right perspective of how to deal with the situation. Um, uh, Isaiah also helped us to understand that when we wait, we gain uh, strength for the future. 
Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's a st- statistic that says that in a, in a given day time, that we make up to 360 decisions a day. So think about your day. You make a lot of decisions. Sometimes you don't think about it. You just make them, make them. Of those 360 decisions, up to about 65 of those can be life-altering decisions. They, they can be up to major decisions. Oftentimes, we're making those decisions with an empty reservoir, an empty spiritual reservoir, because we've been going, 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 and we've depleted because we're making so many decisions. And uh, Isaiah helps us understand that when we wait... Um, Something happens that there's an opportunity because we're seeking the Lord, we're praying, we're, we're spending time in the Word, we're being refreshed, we're being renewed, and the spiritual reservoir of our soul is being refilled, it's being replenished, so that after the period of waiting, as we're going through future situations, we can pull from the spiritual reservoir to make right decisions in the future. And then finally, Isaiah helped us to understand that when we strengthen, uh, when we wait, we strengthen our determination to carry on. Have you ever been in a situation and you find say, that's it, I'm going to throw in a towel, I can't do this anymore. Anybody? Ever? Yeah, yeah, most of us. Um, when we wait, um, in that waiting period, God is going, you can do this, you've got this, I'm on your side. I'll give you the strength. I've already provided every spiritual blessing that you need for life. You, you got this. And so God is encouraging us. He's building up courage. He's building up strength in us. And we say, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to, I'm going to finish this out. I'm going to finish what I've been called to. We're going to make it through this. And so our takeaway was that if we can gain God's perspective, God's value of waiting, that we can better navigate through the difficult, changing, challenging situations of life, and we can better deal with the difficult people of life. And so that brings us to the last little bit. Um, I want us to just consider these four characters, King Xerxes, Haman, Mordecai, and Esther. And to be honest, I'm not going to talk much about Esther. I'm not going to hardly say anything at all because we've been focusing on her for three weeks. So um, she's, she's had plenty of time. Uh, but what can we glean from these other characters? Uh, when, we, when we look at King Xerxes, I think that we should take time to talk about the abuse of power. The abuse of power. Um, was King Xerxes guilty of abusing his power when he demanded that his wife come before all of the men uh, at this uh, probably drunken banquet that he's had so he could exploit her? Um, is it possible that he had such a high value of his position and power that he used his power to uh, disrespect, to dishonor? Uh, was it a, an abuse of King Xerxes' power when uh, Queen Vashti said, no, I'm not going to obey you, I'm not going to come and be exploited, that he disposed her, uh, disposed of her as queen? He says, you're, you're out. And I think the answer is yes. In, all of, in that situation, there was a complete abuse of the influence and the power that he had. Um, it was an abuse of his power to disown her as queen. It was a, an abuse of his power to even think that she could come and exploit herself. So, personal application. As we consider our life, we are all leaders in some sense. We all influence someone. Um, if you're a parent, you have some level of influence, right? You're the boss of somebody, some kids. Um, sometimes, if we have little kids... 
they have influence over the parents. It shouldn't be that way. But, um, if you're a teacher, you have influence. You have power. Um, uh, if you're a supervisor, if you're a student, everybody has someone that they influence, that they have some uh, uh, level of power that they can use. And what we have to remember is in our influence and in our power, we have the ability to build up or we have the ability to tear down. Uh, we can use our words and our behavior to build people up, or we can use our words and behavior, our power influence, to be destructive to people. We can act in ways that cause people to be intimidated, that we manipulate people to get ourself, uh, uh, what, what we want for ourselves, and that's all abuse of power. And so when we look to King Xerxes, I think the lesson that we learn is we can never overestimate the value of our own importance. If you think you're all that, think again. Because that will cause you to be abusive to people. On the flip side, we have to realize that we, we can't underestimate the, the influence and the power we have. And so with that, we have the ability to build people up. And that's what we've been called to as believers. Not to tear people down, but to, to build people up. Uh, as we look at Haman. Uh, Haman, I think we could talk about the destructiveness of anger. The destructiveness of anger. Um, when we look at Haman's behavior, I think we can conclude he was an angry man. I think he had an anger addiction. Um, I think that he was ruled and directed by his anger. I think that his anger was simmering, it was destructive, and it backfired on him. It didn't work out real well for him, did it? I mean, in the end, he died because of his anger. Um, what we may not realize is that Haman's anger was also generational. It had been carried down through the generations. Haman was uh, an Amalekite, and uh, he was a direct descendant of the king of the Amalekites, King Agag. And um, it, his anger dates all the way back to the time of King Saul. King Saul had been given a commission by God to annihilate the Amalekites, not to spare anything about them. And Saul was disobedient. He, he annihilated everyone but the king. That allowed the Amalekite line to continue all the way through to Haman, and it climaxed in the near destructive anger of Haman. It, because of his anger, um, the, the, the Jewish people and all the promises were nearly annihilated. And it backfired on him because of his simmering anger. Uh, it, it was destructive to him. Um, the Bible teaches about a righteous anger, and in, uh, you know, and, but it also warns against anger that would simmer. It's interesting. In, in um, anger leads to uh, is comes from offense. Uh, in Mark chapter six, it's interesting because it says that uh, uh, Jesus was not able to do many uh, miracles in his own hometown because the people took offense. They lacked faith and they took offense, and so it limited. And it shows us that there's limited power, uh, uh, the, the limited ability to be all that Christ has us or called us to be when we nurture anger. And so uh, we have to instead be people, instead of letting anger simmer, we have to say if, if anger in your family is generational, you know what you have to do? Somebody has to say, it's stopping with this generation. We break it right now, and that means a change of behavior. But from Xerxes, from Haman, we can learn we can never underestimate the, the diabolical nature of anger. Anger cannot let, be left unattended. 
Uh, let's look quickly at Mordecai. Mordecai, when we think of Mordecai, we talk about conviction, commitment, consistency. Mordecai was a man of spiritual conviction and commitment to God. It's evident throughout the story. He exercised discernment consistency and unwavering faithfulness. It's consistent throughout the story. And as a result, Mordecai was honored because of his steadfastness. When we take that and we apply it to ourselves, we recognize that when we are steadfast and when we're willing to stay on track in our spiritual formation, in our journey with Jesus, uh, walking towards God, that God honors that. Um, he, uh, we learn from Mordecai faithfulness and uh, uh, we learn that God honors faithfulness and righteousness in his time. He will act on behalf of those who seek him. And then finally, Esther, uh, and I'm not going to linger here. We learn from Esther that if we're willing to take a stand, God will reveal his greatness through our lives. And if we summarize the whole story of Esther, we could just say, God is not absent. God is at work. Even when it seems like he's not, he's always working out his plan, his purpose for us. And that's a period on the story of Esther. Um, I hope that you will continue to learn from it. Now, this is what I said earlier, uh, and this is how I want to end the service today, and it actually has nothing to do with the story of Esther. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, Saturday a week ago, I was here on a, on a Saturday morning, um, sometime before noon, and I was in this room. I was the only person, uh, I think, on the entire campus. I don't think that there was another car anywhere around or anyone in any of the buildings. Uh, and I was in this room, and I was I was praying, and I was praying for all of you. As I walked through this room, I actually just laid hands on all of these seats, representing the fact that you were going to be sitting here. So it represented a prayer for you. I prayed for Pastor Aaron. I prayed for him as our uh, uh, the pastor who leads us in a time of worship. I prayed that he would... Uh, experience an anointing continually that's refreshed and that's renewed that each time that he steps up to lead us in worship that he helps us create an atmosphere of worship and praise that god loves to dwell in that's what the word tells us he lives within the praises of his people i prayed for the worship team Um, i prayed for my family i prayed for our staff Um, and uh, as i was walking through the room um I, I was just singing a series of simple songs that uh, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, thou art welcome in this place it was just there's just a prayer of my heart and i sang several songs of that nature uh, and there was a real uh, a knowing that god was present in this place and as i was walking around and as i was praying god dropped a word into my heart and i knew it was from god i had no doubt and it's a word that i don't typically use in my vocabulary not because it's a big word but it's just not in my my realm and the word was just simply one word and it was outbreak outbreak and when i heard the word outbreak i knew that it was from god and so i said god what does that mean what does that mean i don't i don't typically use that word so i know i didn't create it um and as i continue to pray uh, just believe that the lord just began to speak to me about that word and here's what he said uh, and it was a word that was specific to us as a people, the East Lincoln family. I think it's a word for the entire church, but it was very specific for us. 
that God's desire and what God is in the process of doing in His own plan and providence for us as a people, this East Lincoln family, is that He um, He desires that we would open up to Him because He's in the He's in the process by His Spirit of there being an outbreak of the Holy Spirit personally in our lives. And that as we open ourselves up and cooperate with that outbreak, that there's a, there's a renewal, there's a refreshing, there's a refining, there's an anointing that God is bestowing that uh, is different than anything that we've experienced before. Um, I, I know that as a, as a church family, uh, this year has been a challenging year. But what I sense that God was saying is that um, I know of the past and I'm continuing to heal and I'm moving you into the future. And that I'm doing it with a renewed, refreshed uh, power of my spirit. Not new to God, but new for us. And not to insinuate that we haven't experienced the power of God, but there was something of a different level that we were going to experience. Then I began to uh, just ponder the whole thought of outbreak. You know, outbreak is usually associated with a sickness or a disease. In fact, there's an outbreak of chickenpox in various places in the country. And um, as I began to just pray over that, I just realized that what God was saying is that um, there would be an outbreak of the Holy Spirit that would be contagious and that it, it would be rapid and spreading just like an outbreak is. And so today I share. I, I, I thought maybe I would share that with you last week, and it just wasn't appropriate to share in any parts of the service. So I knew this morning, as I was just prepping for the service, preparing, I was praying uh, that it was this was the day I was supposed to share that. And so it's an encouragement for the future. Great things are happening here at East Lincoln. And I'm not trying to be a cheerleader. I'm just saying it is very obvious by the stories that we're hearing that God is at work. And there's, there's a reviving that's happening. But as we move into the future, there is a revival that's happening in our midst where God is using us to impact our community, to shape a culture, and to make a difference in the world. And it's, it's beginning right here. And so I would just ask that as we can move on to the end of this year, that you would ask God to allow that that outbreak to happen in your spirit. And as we, uh, even now, but as we move into the new year, we move into it with new power, that we're ready for all that God has for us. Let me pray over you. Would you stand? Father God, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the story of Esther and all that you've taught us through it. Father God, right now we just want to say we are a people who are extending our hearts open to you and we ask that we would cooperate with you and receive that outbreak in our own spirit uh, of your spirit we pray that you would refresh us renew us revive us lord and uh, as we move into the future that we could experience that great power that you promised so that we can impact our community so that we can shape a culture so that we can make a difference in the world so that we can be renewed and transformed in our own lives and we pray this in jesus name and everyone who agrees said amen for more information on grace covenant church our service times ministry opportunities directions and more visit us at gracecovenant.org